0: But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Let's join hands with one another as we do service by service, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. You pray your own prayer in your heart that which you and the Lord have maybe already been talking about this morning. I would not interrupt that conversation at all. Someone has described the first few sentences of the Gospel of John, which reads, in the beginning was the word. has been translated, in the beginning was conversation. He came to talk to us and us to him. And so, Lord, we come to have conversation with you today. We bring to you the needs of our hearts and our lives. You already know what they are, but we're cognizant of them, and you have told us to bring them to you. And, Father, we want to hear what you have to say to us. And we know, Lord, you have a private, special, personal, made-to-order message for every one of us here, beginning with me and everyone here. So give our hearts a spirit of openness and receptivity and response. Let us listen for your word. May we engage in an ongoing conversation. We pray in your name, the living word, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you're open to the book of Acts, let me remind you that William Barclay, the British biblical scholar, says that the book of Acts is the most important book in the New Testament. There may be differences of opinion regarding that. But it is certainly significant because here in the book of Acts, the body of Christ has begun to take shape. His body has ascended to heaven. He is the head of the body. He is the head of the church. pastor is not the head of the church, not in this church or any other church. Christ is the head of the church, and we are all members of the body of Christ. And what's happening here is the body of Christ is being incubated because it's becoming flesh and blood. My flesh... My blood, your flesh, your blood, Jesus Christ is creating the body of Christ. That's what the church is called. We are his body. We have different members, different su- functions, different services, different ways to minister, but we're all part of the body. So what is happening here is the body is being created, incubated. It's a critical time in the life of the kingdom of God because Jesus has departed physically present spiritually, energizing people like you and I, every one of us, making us members of his body. Uh, It is called the Acts of the Apostles. It's interesting that of the original twelve apostles, uh, only two or three of them are even mentioned in this book, because the focus moved away from the twelve to a degree. Although they went out, what little we know about what some of them did, there are some legends, there are some historical facts they did go to different parts of the world, and some of them were martyred. Uh, presumed that all of them were. But here in the book of Acts, we see that the Spirit of God is moving the church in a new direction. And the emphasis is not on the 12 apostles. It, um, it, it's moving to people like each one of us. Uh, Bruce Larson, my good friend, Presbyterian minister who's preached here and known for years, and I've read his books and any of those, of his books that you have or... Uh, well, well, you're worth your time to read them. Bruce says that the book of Acts ought to be called How the Good News Got from Jerusalem to Rome. Well, I would just add a little to that. How the good news got from Jerusalem to Rome to San Antonio and to you and to me. Because it got here through a process of the body of Christ at work in ministering teams. Reaching out to minister to people in the name of Christ and bringing people to know Him as Lord and Savior. Let me parenthetically point out at this point that when these early Christians started going out to minister, they didn't have a New Testament. They did not have this New Testament. They did not have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, etc., etc., etc. They didn't have those. For 390 years, they didn't have that. They're not saved by this book anyway. This is the record of what was happening, and they started writing it down. You know how Christianity began? Word of mouth, grassroots, person to person. He changed my life. He died, he rose again, he's given me new life. The greatest period of growth in the history of Christianity took place without a written word. But it was people, individual, human beings, members of the body of Christ, saying to other people, he's made me alive, he's made me a new person, he's made me a child of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And then they said, you know, if we're dying off and we're leaving, so we ought to start writing it down. And so that's how the New Testament came into existence. It itself is a wonderful work of marvelous uh, grace, and it's a miracle beyond words. Uh, but you can memorize this Bible, and I had a guy in Israel one year who could quote most of the New Testament by heart, and yet he wasn't a believer. He, he was a Muslim, but he could quote the New Testament. So you can quote the Bible all day long, and, and it will not save you. It will not save you. It won't even help save you unless you let this written word introduce you to the living word for it's the living word that comes into your life and mine and makes us live. It's not just mouthing some words. You can teach a smart parakeet how to quote the scripture. You've got to have somebody that can invite Jesus Christ as a person to come into their lives and make a difference in their lives. So the book of Acts, I want you to notice the, the movement of the book of Acts. It moves from the apostles, the 12 apostles, to the deacons. And then of the deacons, seven of them, two of them specifically, Stephen and Philip. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, as you know, you read about it in the 6th and 7th chapters of the book of Acts. And then Philip called the evangelist. They didn't call him a deacon, they called him an evangelist. He went up to Samaria. Those first 12 disciples or apostles didn't get up there. That's what, that's what, what he told them to do. Go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. They hadn't made it there yet. They were still in Jerusalem trying to kind of figure out everything. So people started moving out. Stephen did. Philip did. He went up to Samaria, conducted a citywide revival up there, won the Ethiopian eunuch of Christ and baptized him. Started a church that is still in existence today in Ethiopia that results from Philip's ministry up in Samaria. But then watch it move again. Watch it begin to move out into other areas. Suddenly, because of some persecution in Jerusalem, the Christians were scattered, and a bunch of them went up to Antioch in in Syria, and they started a church up there. None of the apostles had gone up there. No one went up there and started it. It It came as a lay group of people who were forced out of Jerusalem by the persecution. They got up there, and they said, We're Christians. We ought to start worshiping, and they became church. And so the church in Jerusalem picked a guy we hadn't even heard of. His name was Barnabas. Oh, yeah, we do remember he sold some property and gave some money to the church. But that was about all we'd known about it. Well, they said Barnabas, which is really his nickname, means son of encouragement, his name's Joseph, they said, go up there to Antioch and see what's happening. So he goes up there. And Paul had been converted a number of years before, had gone to Arabia, had come back. The disciples wouldn't have anything to do with him. And so he went on back to making tents over there in Tarsus. And Barnabas gets up to Antioch and he said, I want to go over there in Tarsus and get Paul because he's just the man we need for this. So look at the church move. Look at what God is doing. Now, the point of this whole sermon and the title of this sermon is Never Stop Starting. Never Stop Starting. We sometimes get to a place and say, okay, we are here. We have made this. We have done this. Let's enjoy this. No, God does not deal like that. You look at the pilgrimage of the children of Israel out of Egypt. Three or 400 years in slavery god delivered them what did he do he led them out they'd camp for a little while around an oasis with a tent and they'd worship there they didn't build any lasting structure goes why they were pilgrimage people they were moving on that's a parable of what the church is supposed to continue to be and even when they got into the promised land they had to fight for it to get it they never stopped starting they never stopped starting they kept going and going and going and never got to the place where they said, well, let's sit back now and enjoy this. Let's get in a spiritual recliner, put uh, a warm blanket over our lap, and hum, nearer my God to thee until Jesus comes back. That is not what happened in the New Testament, and that's not what is supposed to be happening in the New Testament church, and the church today is to be patterned after what happened in the book of Acts. Uh, A man by uh, by the name of Hans Socks has written a book entitled Masks, of love and life, and in that book, uh, he has one chapter that's titled Locked in a Room with Open Doors. Not a provocative title, Locked in a Room with Open Doors. And in this chapter, he talks about two brothers. One brother had a phobia about open doors, he just had a thing about it, and he closed every door. He would always close every door, and would close every door. Well, his brother. Became annoyed about that. I mean, all the time. He just wouldn't let any door stay open. He closed it and closed it and closed it. It was an obsession with him. And this is what his brother said to him. One of these days, I'm going to lock you in a room with all the other doors all open. One of these days, I'm going to lock you in a room with all the other doors all open. You know, that can happen to people and it can happen to churches. Fear." Fear of change, xenophobia, fear of strangers, fear of moving on, moving out through an open door. Sometimes guilt or shame will make a person close the doors and say, God can't use me. Well, look at Simon Peter. He had every reason to feel shame and guilt. He denied the Lord. He cursed the Lord. And yet, who got up and preached on the day of Pentecost? Simon Peter. He did not allow his pastor to lock him into a closed door with all these open doors out there. For ministry, an opportunity. I tell you there are a lot of things that will close the, close those doors. You feel worthless You feel no self-esteem. I tell you, I tell you something that will close the door as quick as anything else, and that is legalism. Legalism. You start saying it's just this room and these four walls and these four walls and these furnishings, and this is what you do. And this is where you stay. You don't move out there. You don't want to get contaminated with all those other awful folks out there that are beyond these closed doors of sanctity and, and uh, security. Close it off. That's what fundamentalism does. Close it off. Limit it. Limit it. Close it in. Listen to the scripture. Jesus talking in the book of the Revelation to his church in Philadelphia. Third chapter, 7th of May 1st. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you An open door that no one can shut you and I as a church have before us an open door of incredible opportunity in this world and if we let the fact that well we finished that building over there now and we've got everything going good and going to call a new pastor here in a few months or a year whenever it happens and we're just going to kind of sit back and enjoy this I tell you My dear friends and brothers in Christ, if that happens to us, and I'm part of this fellowship and plan to be here as long as I live, if that happens to us, if we lock ourselves in a closed room with all the open doors of opportunity around us, God will write Ichabod over the front door of this church, which means God has departed. Some of you are old enough to remember George Romney. Uh, He was a fine businessman, uh, automobile manufacturer, and a presidential candidate. And I came across this quote from him. I think it's terrific. There is nothing more vulnerable than entrenched success. There's nothing more vulnerable than entrenched success. You become a prisoner of what you have done in the past. You lock yourself in a room when all the other doors are still open. Well, you see what happened in the early church. I wish you, if you were a bunch of preachers. I'd tell you about Simon Peter's sermon. I probably need to say a word or two about it because someone heard me say something and, uh, Simon Peter's sermon is sort of a pattern for what preaching is all about, and it's an excellent sermon. The first point is arresting. You have to get people's attention or they're not going to listen. That not make a difference. You've got to get their attention some way or another. And uh, I preached uh, in on streets, street preaching. Martha's been there to sing. Done it on Bourbon Street, down in the French Quarter, down near Morning Call, and uh, Revival Meeting in Mayfield, Kentucky on flatbed, flatbed truck preaching. I didn't know Bron Clifford, but I'd heard about him, and he was an incredible preacher, and they were to have a street service at one of the universities on the campus of one of the universities in Florida. I don't know whether it's the University of Florida or Florida State, one of the two big universities, state universities. And so Bron Clifford, I said, well, you're to preach. So he said, okay, I will preach. So he got up there. He didn't know, how do you get a crowd of college students to stop and listen to you? And this is the way he did it. He said, there is no God. There is no God, he said it about four or five times. There is no God, and by then he gathered, gathered a little crowd around him there. There is no God, a student said to me the other day, and I went on to tell him about Jesus Christ and what he could do in his life. He got their attention. You better get your, their attention or they're not going to listen to you. The second point of his sermon is he understood his crowd. He appraised the folks who were there. He fit his sermon to meet their needs, led by God's Spirit, of course, but he used his mind, which he wants us to do to have this mind in us which is also in Christ Jesus. The third point of his sermon is it is Christ-centered. There is no preaching that's not Christ-centered. It's not preaching. It may be a lecture. It may be informative. It may be entertaining. It may be good. It may even be inspirational, but it doesn't have lasting effect unless it's centered and based and founded upon Jesus Christ. Theology is the foundation. Theology is the foundation. But you know, you can, you can, you can, have, a, you can have a foundation and still not have a house. Theology, theology without action, without ethics, without involvement, theology without activity and ministry is like a foundation without a house. And the house, activity, however good it might be, activity without a foundation is not going to last. It's built on sand. So what God wants, is a solid foundation jesus christ and we are to be the body we're to be the building is another analogy used in the scripture of of the kingdom of god we're to be the building built up a spiritual house peter said to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god by jesus christ and then quickly the characteristics of a new testament church what happens when the holy spirit becomes part of a group of people what happens to them first of all they are committed And you read it in the in the uh, second chapter the last part of it beginning with the 42nd verse they devoted themselves to the Apostles teaching to fellowship to the breaking of bread to prayer everyone notice the inclusiveness of this everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miracles were done by the Apostles all the believers were together and had everything in common selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need every day they continued to meet together in the temple They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It was a committed group of people. They were committed to God and they were committed to one another like these mission teams we're going to have, like your Sunday school class. You're committed to God, but you're committed to them. That's the way we minister. The only way we minister to God is by ministering to other people and helping them just as they help us, encouraging them just as they encourage us. The second ingredient in the early church was worship. It was both joyful and reverent. There needs to be both of those elements in there. We've had that here today. There needs to be joy. And they did that. They, they ate their meat with gladness. They had a good time. And with sincere hearts. That means unalloyed. That means genuine, real, worship. They had signs and wonders. Miracles happened. Do miracles still happen? I think I've told this, Mark and I in, in Knoxville, Tennessee many years ago in a revival that grew so much we had to move to the University of Tennessee gymnasium and we were having eight or 9,000 and 10,000 people a night and a couple of hundred decisions being made. It's one of those spontaneous movings of the Spirit of God that I just pray will come again and again and again. And one night after the invitation, we'd take people back to counsel with them and talk with them and two girls from the Tennessee School for the Deaf had come and they didn't have an interpreter with them and they were able to tell someone that they couldn't speak, and so I went back out, and there were still a few hundred or more people in the the gymnasium there. I said, do any of you have the ability to, to sign language to deaf people? And someone did, and they came back, and these two girls had come to the service. They didn't hear a word of the music, they didn't hear a word of my sermon, but they got under conviction, and they came forward, and both of them accepted Jesus Christ as the, their Savior, and they could not hear. You know what happened? That is a miracle of God, and they heard just like they did at Pentecost in other languages. They heard in their own language. It didn't have to be translated for them. Was it a miracle of speaking, or was it a miracle of healing? Probably a miracle of hearing, where they heard, just like those deaf girls heard the word that really counts, which wasn't my word but the Word of God that came to her through the work of the Holy Spirit. So miracles still happen in people's lives. A lot lot of you know that. A lot of you are walking miracles uh, yourself. And then the next ingredient, of course, is a reputation. They had a reputation. People liked them. Now the religious crowd didn't. The religious crowd never does. They don't like anything. They don't even like each other. They don't. They do not. They, they, they just cannot get people who, are, who, who agree with them on every jot and tittle, every point, every one. You have to just pass this rigid test or you're not in. And if you're not a Jew and if you're not a devoted Jew and if you don't keep all 600-plus laws, well, then you're a sinner. I had all of it. Now, that crowd never took to Jesus, and he had some very severe things to say about them. The only severe things he ever said to anybody were to the most religious people of his day. Never said anything like that to prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners, whatever they might have been. But the people, the New Testament says, the people heard Jesus gladly. The common people, it says, what does that mean? That means folks are like you enough. have got common problems, sins, failures, frustrations, needs. But people who get very religious, and they get Mr. and Mrs. better than everybody else, will then suddenly... They don't like it. Well, those are the folks, the state and the religious leaders of the day were the ones that got together to get rid of Jesus. That, that's always been the case, always been the case. So for one reason I'm for separation of certain church and state, it always, it usually hurts the state. It always kills the church, always need to be separate. But the people like them, I mean, they said, my goodness, look at these folks. We've known them and their lives have changed. It's terrific. It's terrific. Now, I hate to tell you this. I'm going to make it real short. But that's the introduction. <laughs> uh, what I wanted to really get to is you never stop starting. Now, when these mission teams started going out, now, I, I just want to give you a quick word. I want you to notice names that you'd never heard of if you'd stopped with the 12 apostles. Of course, D, Stephen and Philip well, let's talk about Paul and Timothy and Titus and Silas. Where'd they come from? They said, well, we don't want to be on a committee. We want to be doing mission work. <laughs> we want to be a part of what's going on here. Something's happened to us. So all these people that we'd never heard of before suddenly become part of the church. They become the church. And you don't hear anything coming out of Jerusalem. You hear stuff coming out of Antioch and out of Ephesus, and out of Philippi, and out of Corinth, and out of Rome. You see things happening. People whose names, we don't know any of these folks. Uh, turn turn uh, in your Bible to page uh, 1126. That'll be the, 10th, the 16th chapter of Romans. And before I, before I say a word about that, I want to point out something about the book of Acts. You know it doesn't end. It ends with the 28th chapter, but it doesn't really end. In fact, Almost the last word in the 28th chapter of the book of Acts is unhindered. Unhindered. The word was being unhindered. They weren't locking it behind doors. It was unhindered. So you know what? The 29th chapter of the book of Acts is still being written and we're in it. We're still part of the Acts of the Apostles. We're carrying on the unhindered gospel that reaches out to all men anywhere and everywhere. Almost the last word In the 28th chapter in the Greek is the word open, unhindered, unrestrained. Now, in the 16th chapter of Romans, Paul is thanking people. Now, I want you to look at it. This is just so incredible. Here's this man. We think that Paul just did it all, and it's just a one-man operation. He just goes out there and preaches. No person does that. No pastor does that. No evangelist does that. There are thousands of people that are involved that make things happen for God. It's not a one-man show. never is, and if it ever gets to be that, God's not in it. It's everybody being a part of the ministry, 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 ministry team, like the builders, like these men that are building, like many, many ministries you're going to be in involved in, I pray, during these years. In the 16th chapter of the, of the book of Romans, page 1126 in the Bible there in the book rack in front of you, Paul starts by saying, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Isn't it interesting? He starts with a woman. Doesn't sound like a very good Southern Baptist to me. But nevertheless, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deaconess, servant, same word, same word, of the church in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in the way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. Greet Priscilla. Come on, Paul. You're talking about women again. Priscilla and Aquila. You notice Pr- Priscilla ahead of Aquila? I thought she was supposed to be subservient to Aquila but she couldn't do anything unless he gave her the authority to do it well here's Priscilla and Aquila not only tutoring and helping Paul but tutoring Timothy and Apollos. my fellow workers in Christ Jesus they risk their lives for me not only I but the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them also greet the church that meets at their house greet my friend he goes on and on and on 24 different names But in verses 10 and 11, he talks about the household of Aristobulus and the household of Narcissus. He talks about a whole household of people. So we have 24 people. Nine or 10 of them are women. There's one name in here. We don't know whether it's masculine or feminine. But nine or 10 of them are women plus families. Listen to all of these things. Incredible things. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus. Chosen in the Lord and his mother who has been a mother to me too. This is probably Rufus who was the son of the man, Simon of Cyrene, who helped carry the cross of Jesus. His brother Alexander was in the church in Rome. Been a mother to me. Greet one another with a holy kiss, he says in verse 16. Now listen to this. This is for us. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way try to lock you in a in a room, obstacles in your way contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I am full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan, which means adversary, under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Are Paul's two favorite words, grace and peace. The God of peace will crush Satan. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so may I add, without in any way trying to add to the scripture may I say the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and never 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 stop starting and starting and starting and then these final words from the apostle now to him who is able to establish you in my gospel what does he mean by that two words you mean every letter he wrote Two words, grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all, I have a big red circle around there, so that all nations, not just Western nations, not just English-speaking nations, not just white nations, not just educated nations, not just this little group and that little group. All, all, all nations, the incredible inclusiveness of the kingdom of God so that all nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ, amen. And we all say, amen. So if you've never started toward Jesus Christ, let me urge you today to start. Never stop starting. Maybe you've stopped along the way. Let me urge you not to stop today. You want to be a part of the life and fellowship of this church and help us minister more effectively to reach out to the community? You say, well, Buckner, I don't know much about the Bible. Well, has the Lord done something in your life that can make a difference in other people's lives? Then you're ready. Then you're ready. We'll help you with the Bible. The Bible will help you with itself. Just start. You never learn how to ride a bicycle standing still. You've got to get it moving. It's the same way in the Christian life. You can just sit and study all day long. You can go up and be in every Bible study fellowship and every Sunday school class in the world. But once you start moving witnessing to other people you've never really known the joy of the Lord so if you're a follower of Christ or want to be a follower of Christ or have questions about it come this morning we'll talk with you and share with you it's the Lord's invitation it's just as open and, and inclusive as it was when Jesus was here unfortunately religion has come along and put in a lot a little small print let me tell you my friend God didn't put any small print in his invitation He said, whosoever will may come, and that means anybody and everybody, no one excluded. So come. Let's stand and sing. God's invitation.